are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. We are going to continue a conversation that we've been having the last couple of weeks. We have been discussing trauma-informed yoga as well as yoga for mental health, and both of those episodes will be linked in today's show notes. Now, today we're going to discuss how yoga can help you on your road to recovery. Now, recovery is a large concept. We technically can be recovering from just about anything, rather that's heartbreak and loss, physical illness and ailments and injury, mental disorders such as anxiety and depression, addictions from food or substances, or anything in between all of that, right? So yoga is a really beautiful way to bridge the gap between not only recovering, but continuing on that journey of sustainability, which is really important. Now for me in my personal life, I have utilized yoga in so many different ways from recovering from physical injury, which is what brought me to the practice, to recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder in such a large and identifiable way, and recovering from heartbreak and breakups and loss, including that of my beloved Madison, my little Shizu, who I lost a couple of years ago, right in the time that I was in the middle of a deep study of yoga. And so currently, I really wanted to record this episode because I've been reflecting on some decisions that I've made most recently in my life. And as yoga does, it requires you to become really connected back to self. It's a very introspective practice, as I've mentioned many, many times. Not only does it connect the mind to the body, but it really connects you back to your spiritual self. And you can both create an awareness about your body and your mind and your spirit, but also begin to really have a reactive and proactive response to what yoga can bring to you on and off the mat. So it's really a beautiful discipline, beautiful philosophy, and it can show up wherever you are. So it meets you. You do not need to be or try or force your way into this practice in any type of way. You can just begin and it starts to allow you to become more patient and more compassionate with yourself, which automatically translates to having those same attributes for others. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful practice. And it's lifelong, and it's something that I highly encourage everyone to embark on their own personal journey with. Now, with that said, as I mentioned in the other episodes that are linked in the show notes, There are many reasons why we have disconnected from self, many reasons, from trauma to unconscious to conscious reasons even. And there's lots of areas in our lives that help us to stay disconnected. You know, we can be disconnected in numerous ways, 
some of it can be addictive behaviors and some of it can be just things that seem healthy and healthful, but really are keeping us from getting to know who we really are. When we can live with the true concepts of actions that we've taken, thoughts that we've had, all of it being the good and the bad and the ugly and everything in between and not have guilt and shame, then we know that we're really on a beautiful journey of true self-discovery. And if you are listening to this episode, then you are probably right smack on that path for your life. And it's beautiful and it's scary and it's not easy and it's completely lifelong. So give yourself time and have the patience that is truly required for you to be able to, I think, live your best life, live your best self, right? So as I mentioned, I'm currently in the middle of this journey myself and I'm really trying to understand, you know, some of the decisions I've currently made. Now, as they say, when you know better, you do better. So that's my saving grace. But what about when we know better and we don't do better or we didn't quite see that coming or we didn't pay attention to what we knew could happen? You know, how do we recover from that? That can be sometimes some of the hardest recovery, to be honest. And I think that's where I'm, I'm currently at. I'm currently not over analyzing and deciphering the who, what, where, when, why, and how, but really just taking a step back and trying to create some prevention for the future self, my future life. Can't control what's already transpired, but I can definitely learn and hopefully create some wisdom from that and maybe even begin to heal and teach. So that's the goal. Now, with that said, I'm still working on getting over some feelings of guilt and shame from my own decisions, mostly because I feel like I've been on such a journey over the last, I want to say, five to maybe even 10 years. And I've been in different realms of that journey, some areas where I've been really forthcoming with myself in some areas that I had to find out the hard and long and painful way, but I have nothing but gratitude for where I currently am. And so with that, I'm just trying to really, I think, unpack how to move forward knowing that, you know, I wasn't really able to control, (laughs) and I have to use that word control and laugh about it because it's true, I cannot control, but how do you recover from lack of control? You know, knowing that you couldn't control a situation, that it got out of hand, that you were a party to it, and that it's done, and maybe there's no recovering from that particular situation, but recovering from you know, all of it as a whole is really important. So I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you, and then I'm going to talk about yoga as it does scientifically, verifiably help you to begin to bridge the gap between where you are and the recovery and continuing on that road, whatever that looks like. I'm going to talk about yoga and alcohol a little bit more specifically as well because, you know, alcohol is one of those worldwide socially acceptable substances 
that can really help us disconnect from self on any level that you partake in it, right? Rather, it's one glass of wine, which I definitely enjoy from time to time, to something a little bit more severe and more uh, debilitating for your own personal life. And I think it's a good idea to discuss alcohol because you can take this concept and relate it back to anything. It could be recovery from food or recovery from um, other addictions of substances or drugs, recovery from areas in your life, rather it's like, let's say, porn addiction even or social media addiction. I mean, the the idea of addiction and recovery and substances and um, other stuff is huge, it's vast. You know, we can unpack it in a lot of different episodes and I'm sure I will touch on future episodes with this concept as well. But today, alcohol can really symbolize lots of different things because we can all relate to alcohol on some level. Rather, we know somebody who um, takes alcoholism in their lives a little bit far. Rather, that's you. Rather, it's somebody you love. Rather, it is just a concept that lives in your mind. You know, we all know about people who drive under the influence and how that decision can change a life or lives, many lives forever. So it's, uh, it's important because it's widely acceptable socially. It's also very available to all ages. And for me, I am currently recovering from what I consider to be alcohol in a relationship that I was in being a huge culprit to why that relationship didn't survive. So I'm really unpacking that thought and that concept as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And even though I wasn't necessarily addicted to alcohol. I was definitely addicted to a person who was addicted to alcohol, in my opinion. And um, I've been using yoga to help me with that codependency as well. So again, you can use this in lots of different areas in your life, and you can figure out where this shows up for you or those you love, and also just how yoga can help in any realm of recovery. So I want to start off by talking about a quick little story of my own. When I was younger, I definitely got myself as, you know, most people do who are in university or colleges. You know, I did the whole sorority bit and I found myself in compromising situations and I definitely can attribute most of that to alcohol. There's actually statistics that show that most violent situations, domestic or otherwise, are influenced by alcohol. And those same situations without alcohol may have never happened. So alcohol is definitely a leading factor in violence in many cases. And there are lots of consequences to not being able to understand how alcohol can influence you personally or others around you. Therefore, by proxy, you may be influenced whether you want to be or not. We've all been in situations where we've seen people out of control with alcohol. Rather, they've been really sick and puking. I know that's definitely been me, and I've definitely been exper- I've experienced that with others. Rather, it's hangovers and just feeling crappy from drinking too much. And also just um, seeing violence erupt because people have heard something wrong or people have blacked out and things of that nature. Now, I haven't 
so much been negatively affected by alcohol as an adult as much as I had been when I was younger, or I should say as an older adult as I was when I was a younger adult. However, most recently I was in a very committed relationship with somebody who I cared deeply about. And at some point, I quickly recognized that I was also in a relationship with alcohol. I hadn't experienced it on this level ever. So part of me recognized that I was in the middle of something that I wasn't familiar with and I was uncomfortable with. And another part of me thought I was overreacting to that other part, right? And that's that whole not being connected to yourself, not trusting yourself. And as a former uh, sufferer of post-traumatic stress disorder and a person who has suffered some pretty poignant trauma in their life, I definitely have bouts with trusting myself. Like, Am I feeling this way because I'm overreacting? Am I feeling this way because I'm being suspicious or paranoid? Maybe so. This person is not like this other person. You know, you start talking yourself, talking to yourself um, in a way that isn't, I don't think, compassionate. You know, you're not listening to yourself. And that is a act of not being empathetic, by the way. If you're not listening to yourself the way that you would listen to a friend who's telling you, I don't feel safe, I don't want to do this, I don't want to go, please don't make me, and you wouldn't, obviously, somebody you would never make somebody do something they don't want to do, yet you will very quickly talk yourself into stuff that you cannot put your finger on, but you know you're just not comfortable. That was pretty much me. And so because I am not sure that I have fully dealt with some of my own issues with trauma at this particular time, I was still indulging myself in traumatic experiences. I can really see that now in hindsight. So with this person who I cared deeply about, I had a lot of what they call red flags that I was ignoring. And this is no dig on this person whatsoever. He is on his own journey and he may not even agree with anything that I have to say about this. But I do know that this is my truth and my perspective. And truth be told, I was not ready for this relationship. Um, and this is one of the reasons why. Now, when I entered into this relationship with this person, I understood on some level that this was not right for me and that this person had a dependency on alcohol and that I could see it, but it's really hard when you're dealing with something that is very socially acceptable, right? And that you partake in yourself. How do you judge something that you're doing, right? So I kind of thought about it and I'm like, well, you know, of course we can have too much to drink when we're having fun and we're dancing and we're having a good time and we're on holiday or vacation. We're participating in events that lend themselves to this lifestyle choice, right? So this makes sense. And then what I began to notice over time was that not only was alcohol affecting this person, but it was affecting me. I was now drinking alcohol more than I ever had before at times I would never drink also like I would never drink alcohol with breakfast for instance and here I was having you know mimosas and no it wasn't 
you know, a special occasion. It was just breakfast at your own dining table, you know, or Bloody Mary to get over the hangover from the night before. You know, I was really partaking in events in particular with this person that I wouldn't normally do. And that was a red flag that I was ignoring, for instance, right? Also, what I began to notice was we were unable to have a good time without alcohol. And I particularly would enjoy a glass of wine here and there. You know, maybe I would drink a glass of wine on a Saturday night with a bubble bath or out at a restaurant, or maybe I would be out dancing and I would indulge with more than one cocktail. But I knew my limits, and I also knew never to drive, drink and drive, and I have some boundaries that I personally would never cross, that I was noticing that this person was comfortable with crossing, such as drinking and driving. And so again, um, concerns that I was ignoring and that I was broaching but not in a way that was honoring what I felt was true, right? Maybe I was bringing it up, but not in a way that was forceful because my dependency on this person was my own addiction. So not wanting to lose this person and by you know, bringing up a spotlight was very much prevalent in the relationship that I was in. So with that said, as the months started to go by and I started to notice that we were only arguing and having really, really, you know, close to violent, um, and I don't mean violent like domestic violence with each other, but crossing boundaries, let's just say, crossing boundaries that should never be crossed when alcohol was present. And then the next day, he would have had a blackout and would actually not remember what was said or done or remember the events in a completely different manner and would apologize even though we weren't able to resolve those issues because it was like, just blame it on the alcohol, right? And then I was drinking as well, although not as much, but I was questioning maybe I overreacted or did I hear it wrong or did, you know, maybe it didn't happen the way that I thought it happened. So then we would just sweep it under the rug until the next event. And there was always a next event. It was pretty much every time. It was rare that it wasn't um, some sort of a horrible event or outcome from this third party in our relationship called alcohol. And one time I heard this beautiful quote from a doctor that I used to follow her work. And she said, where addiction lives, intimacy cannot. And I honestly felt this firsthand in my relationship. I'm not going to say that the relationship is, you know, um, I didn't play my part in the demise of the relationship because, my, again, my codependency on this person and my own issues with trauma and all of that were surfacing while in this relationship. But I really believe alcohol was just bringing the, the worst out in both of us. So at some point, I decided that I was just going to stop drinking. Like, I didn't need to have any alcohol at all. I was drinking socially with this person. Now, I would never drink over two or three drinks customarily. And um, he would drink an upwards of several to double digits of drinks. So it was um, quite a lot in, in hindsight. You know, at the time, I just, 
didn't pay much attention to it, but it was like endless drinks, you know, spread out over hours in some cases, but definitely happening daily. And so at some point, I just decided to quit drinking because I wanted to be able to trust my own memories. And again, as someone who has suffered from, you know, trauma, you don't trust your own memories. You begin to not know like what exactly happened because you shut down. And we've talked about that in the other episodes. And so I just decided I wanted to be as clear-minded as humanly possible. Plus, I didn't have a dependency on this substance whatsoever. So I needed to eliminate that from my life. And as a former person who engaged in more hardcore um, fitness regimens, including um, weightlifting and and fitness competitions and some bodybuilding-esque type work, I understood that alcohol prohibited the body from building muscle and burning fat while under the influence. So I was never really a fan of truly drinking, but understood that, you know, I I was able to drink without, um, I was able to drink responsibly, you know, especially later in life. And so with that said, I quit drinking and, and he had more of a, and this again is how I knew that this was an addiction for him and a dependency of nothing else. He would play these games with himself where he would tell himself that he was going to stop drinking tomorrow. Today's my last drink and I'm not going to drink until this next event. You know, maybe someone was getting married in three weeks or some special event was coming up. So I'm just not going to have a drop of liquor until that day. And um, most of the time he could only go a couple of days without drinking before drinking again. And, um, That was a red flag for me. So with all this said, I started to notice that I needed to stop drinking. You know, I needed to be able to be coherent and I needed to trust myself and I needed to understand what was happening from, I think, more of a, not only an awareness, but an an observatory type of perspective. I needed to step back and look at me and him and understand what was happening. Ultimately, I can tell you, that once I stopped drinking, like literally would not have a drink, this person um, became increasingly uncomfortable in my presence. Ultimately, multitude of things happened and um, our relationship dissolved in a way that was absolutely heartbreaking for me. And it is still perplexing to me because how it ended was abruptly horrific in a lot of ways. I was going through and still am on some level going through some stuff that is definitely um, personal, but that he was privy to that information. And he chose his lifestyle and chose that in and over us and me. And um I really look at it in a big way, an abandonment type way, which I'm dealing with in my own way. So definitely utilizing yoga yet again for the umpteenth time in my life on this road of recovery to recovery. But that's my little story. And in this recovery, I have been utilizing yoga to help heal me because, you know, there were some flare ups and some stuff that came back in response to this entire relationship that I thought I had resolved and thought I had 
really um, recovered from that I realized I hadn't and I'm working on now in a wholehearted way. But in addition to, I wanted to learn so much more about substance abuse and alcohol because I had experienced this event, this trauma. I really call it trauma because it was traumatizing. And I really wanted to understand it and I have since delved wholeheartedly deep into understanding particularly not only alcoholism, but addiction in all forms. And this is another area that I've begun to start volunteering my time with the practice of yoga and helping others who are in recovery. So I have a friend who works in this realm already, and she is so gracious to allow me to... Uh, shadow her work and be able to just like I did when I was first studying um, trauma-informed disciplines so that I could bring yoga into that I'm doing now with addiction now addiction isn't new to me or my life I personally have not experienced addiction to substances But I have had others in my life who I've loved, family members who have been very much addicted to substances. And I've had to deal with that. And I completely uh, protected myself from others that I thought suffered from any addictions. If people I thought were um, partaking in things that I had already decided that were not for me and I did not want that in my life, I would just stay away from them. So it was really alarming to me that I have fallen in love with somebody who I believe, again, um, this may not feel like his truth, he may not subscribe to this fact, but I believe suffers from an addiction. And I never thought that I would be in a relationship with somebody who was addicted to something um, of a substance, of a chemical um, substance, like drugs or alcohol. I never thought I would be in relationship with that because I was so profoundly against that with um, what I had already experienced growing up. So with that said, I've since attended Al-Anon meetings for those who have been um, codependent on others who have been in addictions. And I've learned so much from that. And I've even subscribed to the idea of being able to work with those in 12-step programs as a yoga teacher. And I really want to delve a little bit deeper into that in the future. But most importantly, I've spent some time really trying to understand what alcohol and addictions and substances, but addictions of all natures, as we talked about, could be anything food really does to the chemical imbalance in the brain. And really, where it all stems from is anxiety that pops up. Remember, we talk about the old brain, the amygdala. And when you think about that, that's that fight or flight part of the brain that keeps you out of the relaxation, that parasympathetic nervous system. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more and talk about the effects that anxiety really brings onto the body and really when you find yourself addicted to substances or anything for that matter it's almost um just an exasperated 
anxiety that's popping up in the body and the brain. So that's where yoga does its magic is on the nervous system, which then begins to heal anxiety that is populating in the body or the mind. And then, of course, also continues on into the world of healing yourself from any other ailments that are showing up to include addictions to substances such as alcohol. Now, another reason why I wanted to be more specific and talk about alcohol was because alcohol is really showing up in yoga. You see yoga pairing itself with alcohol in lots of fun ways. I definitely can tell you that it's fun to go to yoga classes that are at breweries or incorporate wine or margaritas and there's lots of fun classes and I've definitely partaked in many of them but in the true sense of the tradition of yogic philosophy in the eight limbs of yoga alcohol is actually prohibited as it's considered a poison now it is chemically literally a poison to the body of course our body does not recognize alcohol at all when we drink it um So there are some medicinal effects from alcohol on some level, but for the most part, it is poisonous to the body, specifically to the liver. And so when you drink alcohol, you are definitely poisoning yourself. Now, in small doses, it actually has a soothing effect, which we'll talk about, but this is where it can get out of hand very easily. And anybody who's ever had alcohol and has indulged a little bit more that one drink too many has noticed right away when you've received alcohol poisoning because that's essentially what a hangover is if you've ever uh, vomited from alcohol or had a headache or felt sick or hungover you've literally just had alcohol poisoning to a place where your body couldn't metabolize the poison so those are just scientific biological facts but from philosophically spiritually speaking Alcohol is actually um, really prohibited in a lot of different spiritual disciplines. And yoga philosophy being connected to the mind, body, and spirit is definitely still subscribing to that concept as well. So I wanted to talk about that and we will um, unpack that a little bit toward the end of the episode as we discuss what to think about yoga and alcohol Um, as it is showing up and cropping up as a part of the discipline, right? And I'll give you what would be considered my opinion. Um, And I am definitely not one to judge whatsoever. I think everybody's on their own path. Everybody finds their way to their greatness in totally different ways. And sometimes you got to go through it to get through it, if you know what I mean. So let's just start with the science. So hopefully I do not butcher any of these scientific words. I'm going to do my best. Now I do have a background in biological sciences, but I still butcher words. As you know, I talk about all the time on this podcast. I do my best. Now we are going to discuss GABA, G-A-B-A, and it's a molecule of relaxation. And GABA stands for gamma amino beric acid and basically what it is is it is a normally produced um, response that your brain brings to your nervous system 
when it becomes very excited and it brings you back to the state of calm. So without GABA, you will actually increasingly become restless and anxious and might experience all the way to its most imbalanced seizures. So as I mentioned, it's an amino acid and it acts as a neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. Now we talk a lot about the nervous system in yoga because this is where yoga and science meet, okay? Now yoga also is very artful and esoteric and we appreciate that as well but it does have a beautiful scientific foundation and that's what makes this practice so beautifully lifelong because it has a beautiful history that really just um, practices what it preaches so to speak, right? Now, GABA's natural function is to reduce the activity of the neurons to which it binds. Now, I don't want to get too sciencey here, but I'm going to just um, unload a little bit here, so bear with me. It inhibits nerve transmission in the brain, calming nervous activity. Now, this can make a person feel more tranquil and give him or her a sense of well-being. This is specifically why yoga in schools for children is so crucial. Now, I know a lot of people who are fighting and protesting yoga in school. All they can think about is this potential spiritual religious connection that people like to embark on because really they don't want to do their homework when really yoga is all about the nervous system and think about how calming it is and has scientifically been proven to be for children especially those that have actually studied yoga in inner city school districts for students who otherwise have a completely roaring nervous system from the traumas that are experienced in their day-to-day life, yoga has proven to be really beneficial for those. So I just wanted to point that out, which I think I did in um, the episode Yoga for Mental Health, but it can never be said enough what yoga does for rewiring the mind and the body and connecting the two back together. So the nervous system is actually made up of individual nerve cells called neurons, which I've talked about before, and they serve as the body's wiring. That's why rewiring when you need it done is very important. Now, nerve signals are transmitted through the length of the neuron as an electrical impulse. So when a nerve impulse reaches the end of the neuron, it can jump over the the next cell using chemical messengers called neurotransmitters. Are you still with me? Now in the central nervous system, which consists of the brain and the spinal cord, We know the spine's important in yoga, everyone. Think about that chakra system, right? That endocrine system. Now, neurotransmitters pass from neuron to neuron in this system. Neurotransmitters are stored at the end of each neuron. Now, when neurotransmitters reach neighboring neurons, the neurotransmitters click into specialized receptor sites much as a key fits into a lock. Now, when enough neurotransmitters attach to the receptors, the neuron fires, sending an electrical impulse down its length. So think about this fire just surging through the neuron. Now, GABA or GABA is made in brain cells from glutamate and functions as this 
it, it basically inhibits the neurotransmitter, meaning that it blocks this nerve impulse. So that glutamate acts as a neurotransmitter that kind of just stops and when bound to the um, adjacent cells encourages them to fire and send a nerve impulse it actually does the opposite by telling GABA to that adjoining cell not to fire and not to send that impulse and to keep the body calm. So there's like this little war that's happening in your central nervous system and depending on what you are who you're giving the gun to, you're either giving the gun to these reckless, careless individuals, these little warriors in your body, which I kind of talked about in the last episode too, but in a different context, but I love this. And they're just firing, you know, friendly fire, doesn't matter. And the other ones who are more experienced snipers who know when to actually shoot. Okay, so we want to be mindful of that. Now, without GABA, the nerve cells fire too often and too easily. Now, anxiety disorders such as panic attacks, as I mentioned, seizure seizure disorders, and numerous other conditions, including addiction, headaches, Parkinson's syndrome, and cognitive impairments are all related to low GABA. I keep wanting to say GABA, you know but GABA activity, GABA hinders the transmission of nerve impulses from one neuron to another. It has a calming or quieting influence. And a good example to help understand this effect is actually caffeine. Caffeine inhibits GABA release, so it stops us from being calm, right? We do that on purpose when we drink caffeine. Now, the less GABA, the more nerve transmissions occur. So you're drinking your caffeine on purpose. You want all these fire shots to take place. Now, think what too much coffee feels like. That sensation of glutamate without enough GABA is what's happening in the body there. So many people take GABA as a supplement. Did you know that? To improve mood and relieve anxiety. However, there has not been enough research to uncover the side effects and the risks of these supplements. So you don't need these supplements. You can just take mountain pose, right? Going to do a little yoga instead of taking a pill. Love that. Now, there is little evidence that it does anything, as I mentioned. And it, it's a uh, recent medical belief is that GABA will not pass the blood brain barrier. So the blood brain barrier is a biologic firewall for you techies out there between the body's general blood circulation and the blood circulation that supplies the brain. It prevents many of the chemicals and drugs which circulate in the blood from reaching the brain. This would mean that GABA cannot pass from the body into the brain. Consequently, it leaves people dubious if then GABA actually works. So it's one of those placebo effects, perhaps, but that's fine. You know, whatever, whatever works, just take your yoga. Don't take the pill. That's my opinion. So we're going to actually talk a little bit about the pairing of yoga and alcohol toward the end, as I mentioned. But before we get there, let's talk about nine ways that yoga helps recover from food, drug and alcohol addiction. I was going to go into a little bit more about alcoholism and like what that actually does to the body and the mind, but that is such um, a conversation in itself that I think I'm going to save that for a different episode in the future as this one's probably already getting a little bit too long. Let's, let's discuss 
the road of recovery more. So how do we recover using yoga? Now, yoga is able to replace artificial highs for natural ones. That is a big point that we just talked about with GABA. Now, yoga is not the only thing that can do this. Running, walking, dancing, creating art, creating music, all of that still has the same effect on your central nervous system and your brain. You're really activating your frontal cortex of your brain instead of the amygdala. And so there's a lot of ways to get there. Yoga just happens to be one of them. So it kind of takes you on this natural high, okay? Now, it also helps eliminate reactiveness. A way to think about that is sometimes when we're overreactive, we're not able at all to live in a place of preventiveness or proactiveness. And so something can just come up and basically uh, uh, create this um, quick reaction. We talked about that in yoga and mental health. So yoga really helps to create mindfulness. It allows you to be more patient, take more time. It slows you down so that you can think about things. It's really quite fascinating. It provides community. Sometimes we get ourselves involved in things that are distracting or destructive. Sometimes that's one and the same. Sometimes it's not because we are disconnected not only from ourselves, but from others. Yoga helps to bring us back to that place of community. It's what I love. Even though I absolutely am a proponent, as you know, with this podcast of having a personal practice and listening to the free audio classes that populate themselves every week on the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast, I absolutely believe that it's um, important and vital to stay in community as well. And attending yoga classes with other like-minded individuals is one way of doing that. Not the only way, but definitely one of them. As I mentioned, we create this control of mind, this um, ability to be able to slow down. Now, when we talk about dristi and yoga, sometimes that gets confused with just thinking of where your eyes are gazing. But dristi, as I broke down on one of the Q&As on this podcast, we talk about how dristi is much more than that. It is actually being able to live in time and space, like truly being in the present moment. That is another idea when we think about developing control of the mind. We don't need to be in this weird downward spiral of reactiveness, emotional overload. For me, as a person who's recovered from, hopefully I've recovered from post-traumatic stress disorder, a big part of that was allowing that anxiety, that paranoia, and that emotion to overtake me and not being able to separate myself from that moment, rather it was true or false. And now that I work with others that are completely in those moments, I am able to help teach them how to slow down and and bring it back. Also, this lends itself to increasing that control over stress and anxiety and that reparation of the nervous system, as we just talked about with GABA, and also what we talked about in yoga for mental health with the parasympathetic nervous system, how important that is versus the sympathetic nervous system. So remember, fight or flight versus rest 
and digest, okay? And the ultimate healthy coping mechanism. Now, is there a way to become addicted to yoga? Absolutely. But for the most part, yoga is a way to reconnect back to mind, body, spirit. Rather, you're practicing yoga in the physical form, asana, the postures, or in meditation or pratyama, the breath work, right? Or hopefully all three. Help conquer insomnia. Ugh, I had insomnia. I normally only get insomnia when I'm going through something. So if I'm going through a, a loss or a heartbreak or something of that nature, I will get this really restless energy that is anxiety, I'm sure. It's that fight or flight. But I have a ton of energy and sometimes I do a lot with that energy. You know, I will become really creative. I'll have a lot of ideas. I'll start new projects. It will actually look like I'm being very productive with my trauma. But really, I'm also staying up all night or not sleeping very well or not um, sleeping at all. So um, it's twofold for me, I've noticed. Fierce is... Um, or I should say uh, you become fiercely determined in you being your best self when you practice. Yoga, as I mentioned, has a visceral effect, and that it does. It helps you to really um, become determined in what's important in your life and, and let go of what isn't. You tend to embark on a beautiful spiritual path. This is not a religion. But spirit is definitely something that you begin to connect back to and hone and flourish in. It allows you to not only have compassion for yourself, as I've mentioned, but for others, which is this beautiful um, way of teaching. You know, you teach all the time, whether you know it or not, just by existing and people observing you, you are teaching them. So what can be better than that, right? I love that. So let's talk about some yoga sequences that really help for recovery rather from addiction or anything else. Now, remembering that the grip of addiction can seem impossible, but yoga can actually really help lift you from that space. I know for me, even just having codependency or addiction to another person, um, and not necessarily in this way where I'm addicted to them, but just addicted to what they brought out of me sometimes. You know, have you ever been around someone who just, they get you to have more fun or they get you to be more, um, you know, like out of yourself or this alter ego? That's addicting in itself. And that's really what I'm talking about when I'm thinking of my personal experience as well. It's just like, I loved being with you and, and what that felt like with me. You know, it's like you got me to be a little bit on my more wild, courageous side, right? That's also interesting when you're hanging out with someone who is not connected wholeheartedly to them. They're not that introspective at all. They're very like surface or external. They actually have a lot more fun um, on the surface and can do a lot more things that can come off as exhilarating, right? Because they're very sensory. And so I definitely got addicted to that sensory side of being in that relationship personally. So let's talk about this. Now, some of the poses that work um, can just, what it is is in yoga, you really start to balance your body with your mind and just something as simple as walking as I mentioned if you have anxiety just taking a walk 
can actually relieve that pressure because you are in a moving meditation at that point and your mind is able to relax and bring back that GABA. So that is meditative. You do not have to sit and meditate only. You can move and meditate. Every time you practice yoga, the asanas, you're in a moving meditation. So just walking around can begin the process for you, okay? Now, as we mentioned, some of that science behind addiction is, you know, yoga affects us physiologically and psychologically and yoga is very effective at regulating the stress hormones cortisol and adrenaline and in fact it helps to create a balance out of this imbalance that you may already have with your hormones which is associated with these anxiety disorders depression and as I mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder as well as substance abuse so these Chronically high levels of hormones are toxic to the body and central nervous system, and we know yoga can help reduce or balance the stress hormones in the body. So it makes sense that if you're less stressed, you may not be as quick um, to seek these substances to cope, obviously. Why? Why would you look for something? If you go on a beautiful long walk, chances of you needing something to calm you down is less likely, right? So that's just seems obvious, but we don't really think about it. So um, let's go ahead and talk about, I keep saying that, right? Let's go ahead and talk about these poses, but let's do it. So as you practice, remember to honor your limitations, definitely going to your edge with love and acceptance rather than judgment and discouragement. And if you are unable to move into a posture at all, then just focus on your breath, breathing deeply, and think of mantras, affirmations that in itself is a healing, very healing, healing practice. And at the end, just write down your thoughts, you know, start to journal, start to really create that body awareness and that mind awareness, which is scary, but we really have to be called to do so. That's your call to action. So one really great yoga posture is sitting mountain. And it is basically you're sitting with your legs together on your heels. Or you can sit on a block or you can even sit in any other variation that you like. You can sit in easy pose even. But allow the heart to come through, inviting stillness into the body. Your affirmation is serenity comes when I surrender. So that's a beautiful posture. Child's pose relieves the tension in the shoulders and spine, which is a natural mental relief. So it encourages your feelings of safety and protection. It's a very grounding pose. As you know, you go into your turtle shell. And remember that you are sort of like in this womb of healing energy when you're in child's pose as well. Your affirmation here can be, I rest in trust and patience. The next one is just seating, um, sitting with a seated forward bend. So you can grab onto your feet or ankles, keeping your eye gazes forward. This helps to stretch the hamstrings and lower back. It also fosters a sense of calm and letting go while gently stretching the spine. And your affirmation here can be, I move forward with patience. The next one is butterfly pose. This pose shows up in so many healing modalities of yoga. It's just should be done every day. Now you're going to sit with your bottoms of your feet together and you can gently open up the heart 
let it shine through. And this also opens the pelvis and the hips in a gentle way. So it allows you to release any negative energy, any emotions that are bottled up in the body. And your affirmation is, my spirit is as gentle as a butterfly. The next one, which we all know to be calming for anxiety and all those different areas and disturbances of the mind, really, is legs up the wall. It relaxes you because you are literally relieving the pressure and also calming the mind if you're in a slight inversion. So your affirmation here is, as I relax, I gain insight, clarity, and ease. And then we're going to do little boat hugging of the knees or giving yourself a hug better is what I like to call this posture. This releases the lower back and lengthens the spine and you're loving on yourself, giving yourself love and gratitude. I hold myself with compassion is a beautiful affirmation here. The next one could be just sitting with your get you know in a seated posture hugging your knees into chest here and then begin to lengthen your arms as you take the twist to one side give yourself a hug and then with your breath lengthen your arms and take the twist on the opposite side this releases the lower back and lengthens the spine increases flexibility of the spine back and ribs as well and your affirmation is Everywhere I turn, I see beauty. I love that. The next one is Shavasana or Corpse Pose. This is a basic pose of relaxation. As you know, you do this at the end of every yoga class. It helps relieve the body of tension. It relaxes, rejuvenates, and replenishes the mind and body. And in Shavasana, you can tell yourself, I allow myself to relax completely and surrender So I love that. I think it's just a beautiful idea. Now, keep in mind that all the poses of yoga can do this and do do this, actually. But these are just some that really focus on you allowing yourself to incorporate them into your practice or to take note and just do one a day, write down in journal and decide how it made you feel, what came up, really starting to create that introspective practice that I talked about in the last couple of episodes as well. So I hope you made it through this long, long episode. I appreciate your patience and your listening ears. Thank you so much. I hope this helped you on your journey to recovery. I know for me, sometimes just talking about something really allows me to let go. And in that, in itself, is a mindful practice. So remember that grace is, or faith is always your grace, I should say. And love is the highest vibration. Go in peace, everyone. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste. Thank you.